Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome back to Apply Filters, episode 64. Today, Brad and I are going to talk about some of the things that we've been up to, a few blog posts that we've either written or, or read recently, some of Brad's trip to WordCamp Europe and Vienna. But before we do that, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. I registered my first ever domain name in 1999, 17 years ago. Back then, there was one place to register domain names, a company called Network Solutions. Many of you probably already know this, but did you know that Network Solutions also has a WordPress hosting platform? They do. It's called Secure WordPress. It's a managed WordPress hosting platform with an emphasis on security. They automatically keep WordPress core and your themes and plugins up to date. They have daily backups. They provide malware scanning and removal. And they put your site behind a data center class firewall to protect against zero day hacks and DDoS attacks. They have expert tech support available 24 seven via chat and phone. Network Solutions takes care of keeping your site locked down and up to date so you can focus on your business. Visit getnetsol.com slash apply filters today to get started. That's getnetsol, N-E-T-S-O-L dot com slash apply filters. And now back to the show. All right, Pippin, what have you been up to, man? Well, the last couple of weeks have been pretty busy with a couple of big plugin updates. Um, we've been working on Easy Digital Downloads 2.6, which has been uh, in progress since I think January is when our last major release 2.5 was. So it's been about a six-month development period, obviously with point releases in between. But we, when we measure our dev development periods, we usually go major release to major release. So it's been about six months for that. And we got that pushed out last week on Thursday, I believe. And so far, it's been a very smooth release, very pleased. We have done two little point releases, 2.61 and 2.62 since then, but they were really to fix pretty minor issues. Uh, they weren't even necessarily user or customer facing bugs. They were things that we realized that we needed for ourselves. And so we went ahead and pushed out updates. So 2.6 is an update that we're pretty happy with. Uh, it does a couple of things that are have been on our, our want list for a long time. Um, the with two major ones. The, the first one is we introduced native import options for payments and products. So previously, let's say that you had a CSV file of purchase records or products and you wanted to import those into your site. We had this free plugin called EDD CSV Manager. And it's one that uh, one of our other team members and I wrote uh, almost three years ago, two years ago, something like that. And it worked okay, but it was outdated, it, it hadn't progressed along with the rest of EDD, and it was pretty cumbersome and unreliable to use, especially on certain hosting environments. So we've been wanting to dramatically improve those, and so we did. So we've introduced new import options that are directly in the core plugin for importing payments and products. They work off of our batch processing API that we use pretty extensively throughout the plugin now, so that they're designed to be able to handle massive CSV files hundreds or thousands or many, many thousands of products in, in the majority of hosting cases. There's still some environments where we'll have trouble processing massive files, but usually it works pretty well. 
I'm just looking at the uh, user interface for this import tool. Is this has this been updated or has this always been the same UI? Are you looking at the new one or the old one? I'm not sure. It's a, the, the <laughs> it's the screenshot that's in your release notes, so I'm assuming okay. it's the new so one. So that's that's the new interface, right? Um, and that's only showing one stage of it. So if you go to that screen. The first thing it's going to show you is going to ask you to upload a file. It's going to then upload that file using um, Ajax upload. And then once it uploads a file, it does a couple of things. First, it reads all of the columns from the CSV file. And then two, it also reads the first row of the CSV to get sample data. So then what you're given is you're given a list of fields to map. And so for either payments or products, we have each of the fields. So if we're talking about payments, let's say you're going to have a currency code, you're going to have an email address, an amount, the products purchased. Uh, the date it was purchased, the status of the purchase, IP address, various things like that. And so those are the ones that EDD needs to create the payment. And so then you go into a mapping column and you pick each of the, the columns from the CSV that correspond to the EDD field. So is that new or is that is that what it was like the old, before? The old UI had a similar mapping system, right. but it wasn't as smooth or as reliable. Yeah. It looks it looks uh, good, man. Like the, this this interface looks really. Intuitive. We think it's pretty smooth. Um, and then everything is Ajax, so there's no page reloads for any of it, including the, the import process. So far, we've been testing it, and it's pretty reliable. We found one little issue with it that we'll probably have to push out a point release again in a in a day or so, but otherwise, not too bad. There's two, or actually three, other major features that we added. First was we added support for customer records to have multiple email addresses, so everybody has multiple email addresses, almost everybody. You have maybe a personal email, a work email, maybe you have multiple work emails, or let's say that there's a, a team, and so then there's a billing at, there's a support at, there's a info at, et cetera. And so customers are very frequently will purchase multiple email addresses, even though they're the same person or team, we've added support for tracking multiple email addresses on a single customer record. And so then regardless of which email it's purchased from, it all gets tracked properly. So there's kind of one canonical source as opposed to having three duplicated customers with different emails. Um, and then we added the ability to refund payments for PayPal standard directly inside of EDD makes the refund process a little less painful. Um, no, we figured, you know, nobody likes refund processing refunds, but at least we can make it a little bit easier and less painful, so we did that. And then we also added uh, customer metadata API. So previously, if you wanted to store metadata for a customer, such as a second email address, you had kind of two options for where to store it. You could store it on a purchase record, or you could store it on user meta. Well, neither one of those were very good because number one, a customer could have 20 payment records, so you don't want that metadata duplicated. And then user meta is no good because not every single customer has a user account. So we introduced a new metadata table that you can store metadata for customers now. We had some other things that were just kind of nice little improvements and you can check them out at the release post. Beyond that, now actually there is one other thing that we did in 2.6. And actually this is, it wasn't really in 2.6, it was 2.6.1 and 2.6.2. Since about two and a half years ago, EDD has had a usage tracking system in it. So a customer or a user installs EDD on their website and then they are given an option to opt into data tracking. And when they do this, it sends a report to our site, we log it in a database, and then once a week, they their site checks in. As long as EDD is active, and as long as they're still opted into data tracking, their site will check in once a week. We've been running this for a while, we've collected a whole ton of data um, from about 75,000, 80,000 websites, 
And it's been very, very valuable for us. We've recently been working at aggregating our data better and making it easier to query so that we can use it better. Well, when we rebuilt our internal data system, we, we rebuilt the database basically and migrated it from one database to another database. When we did this, we realized a problem. We discovered that our weekly check-ins were never working. <laughs> so the only data we actually had was from unique sites. So we had 75,000 unique sites that had checked in, but we never had updated data from any of them, even if they had been running for two years because we discovered numerous, a couple of bugs in the way that our weekly check-in worked. So we figured it out and we pushed out an update that fixed it and we, we made a couple of changes. Number one, we made it so that anytime you install an update now, it fires a check-in. So even if your weekly cron isn't working, it'll check in each time you update. So that way we, we have updated information with the, the EDD version that's used, the plugins that are on that site, et cetera, et cetera. And it's revealed some really interesting insights. So first of all, we have, we have graphs that we've built out that show us the breakdown of things like EDD versions, PHP versions, locales, WordPress versions, server system, Apache Nginx, et cetera, et cetera. And originally, most of our data was not very useful because since we had about 75,000 websites and some of the data we had added in, like things like the locale, the server system, and the EDD version were not originally in our data tracking. We added them. So that meant that the only sites that we had that data for were the new ones, which was about maybe 2,000 websites. And so we had another 73,000 sites tracked that didn't have any up-to-date information about them. So what's been pretty cool to watch is after we pushed out the 2.6 update, that data has just been flowing in insanely fast. We have a, a graph that shows our check-in, the number of check-ins per day. And over the last two years, it's averaged around 652 check-ins a day of data being pushed to our site. And most of those were all brand new check-ins. So that's about 600, 650 new installs or new opt-ins per day. That's not per day. That's, uh, it's around a few thousand a week, a week. Well, the moment we pushed out 262, that went from 635 on a, on a graph point to over 2000, which is then proceeded up to over 3,400. So in the last like five days, of, we have updated something like 6,000 records on our site with up-to-date information about the data tracking, which is gonna be very, very valuable for us because what it means now is over the course of another month or two, as we get more and more sites updated 2.62 and we get our data tracking working, uh, we will have much more accurate information about the kinds of sites that are running EDD. Now, there's no personal information tracked. It's only things like the EDD version, the other plugins installed, um, the WordPress version, et cetera. But, it's gonna start giving us some pretty cool insights that we didn't have before because our tracking wasn't working properly. Right, So, as an example, example of like a decision you could make there is you, you could look at, for example, how many people are using PHP 5. Point, what is it, three is the lowest one? Yep, 5.3 right now is 1% of the sites that we know about. Right, so, so if you drop 5.3 support for some whatever reason, you, if you guys wanted to, it would affect... How many people does that affect? Basically? Very, very few people. <laughs> so, well, in a way. So, all right, so I'm going to give you a couple of examples because I think it's fascinating. So of our, of our PHP versions, right now we have over 75,000 sites. We have, we have stats on 75,000 sites. Now, 91% of those are unknown. We don't know the PHP version on them due to that 
because we didn't originally track the PHP version. So a week ago, that 69,000 was at 75,000. So we we know the stats for 6,000 sites in the course of a week. In another two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, we'll be much, much, have a much better percentage. But just to give you an idea, right now, of the, of the sites running EDD on PHP 5.2, there's 161 known sites. 5.3 is 778 known sites. 5.4 is 2,772 known sites. Uh, PHP 7, 269. The majority of sites right now are running PHP 5.4. Now, here's another one that I think is fascinating. And this is one that's super valuable for us. So uh, we want to make sure that we're not only catering to the people that we maybe talk to the most or that we're the most familiar with, AKA English speakers. We wanna make sure that we're international friendly. So what do you think is the biggest locale aside from English for us? Uh, Chinese. Incorrect, Farsi. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so Farsi, is the number is this number two language that we know of um, for EDD installs, which tells us something very, very important. We need to make sure that our right to left support is perfect. These are the kind of decisions that we can make when we start to have this accurate data. I'm really excited for what we're gonna build, the insights we'll be able to have over the course of the next six months as we get our data more and more up to date. This has been a pretty fun little thing to see after pushing out 2.6. So. Uh, the last thing that I that we've been up to was uh, Restricted Content Pro is getting a big update, which also happens to be version 2.6. Uh, and we just published the beta version a couple of days ago. It's got a few pretty nice things in it that we're pretty excited for. Number one, uh, we've had this interface in Restricted Content Pro for a long time on the post and page edit screen for choosing how you restrict content. So for example, is this post restricted to this subscription level or this subscription level or this user role? We've always known that the UI was not very intuitive because we we get tickets every single week with people saying the restriction isn't working and we go in and realize that they've simply done it wrong. And they've done it wrong because our interface is unintuitive or they come to us and say, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to set it up the way that I want. So the biggest change in 2.6 that we've done is we said, let's rewrite this interface from scratch. Let's figure out with, with the various methods that we can restrict content. So like two sub specific subscription levels to a tiered system called access levels to user roles, et cetera. What does a UI look like that we feel would be a lot easier to understand? And so we built that and then we worked backwards to try and figure out how to make that backwards compatible. Uh, and so we've done that and I'm really excited to see what kind of change that makes over the next six months in terms of the reduction in support tickets from people just knowing how to use it more intuitively because the interface is better. We made all of our, our tables inside of RCP, which include like a members list, a discount code list, a payment history list, uh, subscription levels. These are all list tables and they've never been responsive. And now they're all fully responsive, which is nice. So you can actually manage your membership site from mobile a lot easier, which is nice. I have a question about designing your products. So who does the design for your products? Is it, is it, you mean, you mean like 
logos and mascots? No, and I mean, or, I mean, user experience design of the product itself. So who who designs your setting screens and and yeah, uh, it's all in house. We don't do anything external unless there's somebody that just happens to volunteer and provide some feedback. Right, but is it like so? Andrew is a designer on your team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, does he get in there and do mock-ups or anything like that? Uh, it depends on the plug on the on the plugins. So each one of our major products is segregated in terms of the team that works on it. So e- there's a, there's an EDD team, there's an affiliate WP team, there's an RCP team, and so it's members of that team. And then what we we try to get feedback cross teams, especially because it kind of gives you fresh eyes. Usually it's so if I'm working on an issue, like for example, I worked out rebuilding the interface. So that was me first building just kind of a, here's my suggestion. Here's my idea. Pass it over to John. He gives me feedback on it and kind of go from there. And then well, then once we had a, like for this one particular, once we had a rough mock-up, we decided then to reach out to the EDD side of things and say, hey guys, you're, you're familiar enough with RCP. What do you think? It Does this make sense to you? Is this better than it was um, and that's usually how it works. Okay, cool. Let's see what else is new in RCP 2.6. Uh, we added the ability. So with restricted content pro, when you're restricting the content on a site, most of the time we're working through the filter called the content. So we're modifying the actual main content area of posts, pages, etc., And then we're either hiding that content, modifying it or, or showing it depending on the privileges of the user that's logged in. A request that we've had for a long time is to automatically hide comments on restricted blog post. Uh, and so if you, let's say that you have a blog post restricted to paid subscribers and it has a whole bunch of comments on it, you should not be able to read those comments unless you are also a paid subscriber. Um, that has never been supported and now it's supported in 2.6. In both uh, EDD and RCP 2.6 updates, we added tooltips. There, for some reason, I've always been a little bit against adding tooltips throughout a plugin. Part of it is the idea that I always, I've always felt that interfaces should be self-explanatory. And that if you need a tooltip, that says something is wrong with the interface. There are, there's a couple of ways to, re- to react to that. But one of the, so one is you just say, okay, if people are having trouble with, with an interface and you need a tooltip, we should work on redesigning that interface so that you don't need one anymore. The other one is to say, well, why don't we just add a tooltip? Because that way, that's probably easier than figuring out what works or what doesn't in an interface. I don't, I still don't love having a bunch of tooltips inside of an interface, but we did decide to add them. Yeah. Um, I don't like, I don't like the idea of having a little question mark next to like everything. So you've got like, you know, a dozen or more freaking question marks on the screen. It looks like yeah. it's, it looks just like a kind of a cartoon, like, like question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Like, like it, it has always kind of bothered me, but I think it, at the same time, there's a level of compromise you have to have just saying, look, even if we make a great interface, there's still going to be users that won't get it the way that you intended. And it's not because they're a dumb user or they're, uh, or anything like that. It's just everybody reads and perceives things differently. And everybody has different levels of knowledge. Some people know what a term is, some don't. And so I, I think you kind of have to try and find that middle ground of, okay, well, we can't fix an interface problem with a tooltip, but it's one, it's one more way to help customers help themselves. Right. 
Yeah, we've been experimenting. We, I mean, we we have tooltips in both of our products. I feel the same way about it. Like, I, I don't like adding tons of question marks. So one thing we've done instead of adding question mark icons for for tooltips, we add more links to our documentation on our site, so people can you know, and and that way you can actually expand even more on and, and provide a, like a really rich. A body of information related to whatever that thing is that people might want more information on. I like that idea. I like people being able to, you know, really dig into. Yeah, that's something that we've been trying to do as well. Um, so, like for example, in the new import options that we added to to two point six and EDD, we made sure to include links to to documentation inside of those because people are not going to know what every single field that EDD wants is, or they don't know what format of data it needs to be in, or how do they map their CSV file? That's just one example. And I think, I think you're absolutely right, but that's something we should be doing more for, more often. Not to mention, if you add a link to a documentation, you can update that doc anytime. In real time, yeah. That's that's yes. another reason to do it. I also like the idea of like just just adding links to like labels. You know, just just making them discoverable. So like when people hover over, you know, the status label or whatever, they can just click on it and to, and to get more information. They don't have to, it doesn't have to be an icon or, you know, more info link or, or you know, it doesn't have to be so explicit. It just needs to be, you know, clickable kind of. Yeah, we ha- we haven't gone that route yet. <laughs> we we, used to, we still do more info and little, little um, question mark icons. But I mean, UI should be more, I think, more like the web in that way, that things are just clickable, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that I always want to strive for. But, you know, at at the end of the day, there's only so many things that you can do. And sometimes redesigning your UI and doing user testing on it and doing all of these things to try to make an informed decision as opposed to a guess takes a lot more time than adding a little bit of help. So two other things that we or a couple other things that we added in RCP 2.6 that I'm excited for. Uh, number one, we added support for Alipay through Stripe. So anybody who's not familiar with it, it's a Chinese payment processor that is very widely used in the Chinese market. And Stripe actually natively supports it through their Stripe checkout system. And so we've added support for that. So memberships can now be purchased through Alipay. We added a new add-ons page to the main menu inside of Restrict Content Pro. Now, this is something that we discovered in EDD that surprised us a lot. So there's a lot of plugins out there that will have multiple screens. They have a setting screen. They have a various configuration screens. And then a lot of times they'll have maybe an add-ons page or like an upgrade screen or something that's showing the premium upgrades, showing you what you can get if you buy the pro version. For a long time, I've not been super fond of them. They're not something I've had a great love for. For one, because as a user, I didn't love them. And then two, as a product owner, I always just assumed that they weren't very valuable. (laughs) Wrong. Turns out that, for example, the add-ons page inside of EDD is one of our number one drivers of sales to the site of all sources, including like it, it beats out all of our social social campaigns. It beats all of our email campaigns. It beats everything. It is the number one driver of sales, which we found very interesting. 
not to mention valuable. And so we added it, we added an add-ons page just like EV has to RCP to show, hey, these are the various add-ons that we have that are available as part of the, the pro license. Uh, and also here's some free add-ons that we have and things like that. And I'll be very interested to see once 2.6 goes out, if we see an uptick in upgrades because of that. Yeah, it's a it's a little different because there is no free version of Restrict Content Pro, right? You're correct. Yeah. So it's a little different situation. So probably not probably not gonna have the same impact, but you know, no. maybe maybe it'll move the needle a little bit. So that yep. that'd be cool. Be interesting. We know that people look at it, at least. <laughs> uh, and then three other things that we we did in it that uh, will be interesting. Number one, we used to have some very defined CSS on the registration screen that forced uh, some widths for labels and input fields. Early on, I made a decision that I felt RCP's registration form should always look the same on a site as opposed to instead of having a theme define the widths and the sizes and the alignments of input fields and labels. Because if we can create a consistent experience, that's probably better than an inconsistent experience that depends upon a theme. Sometimes you're going to have problems with it uh, because sometimes it's going to clash a little bit or somebody does a slightly different styling. But we've decided to move away from that. And so now uh, we've removed some of our CSS for the default registration forms. It'll be interesting because... One thing that we've discovered is that the the biggest area that people get really, really uptight when it comes to like updates to a plugin is the front end of their site for for membership and e-commerce sites. And if you change any element of the front end, it can be disastrous in their experience, in their mind. Um, And I'm not not to mitigate it as a problem, but I'll be interested to see if our 2.6 update causes significant problems because we've removed a width from the labels. Honestly, we probably shouldn't have had them there in the first place. Uh, but so, so basically now it used to be that the labels and the input fields on the registration form would be side by side. Now, unless your theme styles them and puts them side by side, they're gonna be on top of each other. So we went from a shorter form to a longer form by defaults because of we moved our styling. And it might be something that we have to roll back because people aren't happy with it, but we'll see. You know what I would do for the people that aren't happy with it? Provide the CSS that they can drop in. Exactly. Yep, that's what we already plan to do. Because people that are upset, all they care about is fixing it. They don't. I that's mean, true. they don't really care how. <laughs> that's true. That is totally true. Um, and then we also added uh, subscription payment meta APIs, which is kind of like the customer metadata API that we added to EDD. So we can now track metadata for payments and subscription records. And lastly, we added uh, better invoice to RCPs. Like if you can, if you as a customer make a payment and you want to view that invoice, you can now, you can do that. It used to be that we provided PDF invoices to download. Have you ever looked at how large a PDF library is? <laughs> yeah. Giant. So we ripped it out and we replaced it with a simple HTML invoice and we dropped the size of the plugin by 10 megabytes. <laughs> wow. Like the, the original plugin is something like 11 megabytes and 10 of that is from the PDF processing which is just crazy. So we ripped it out and I'm pretty happy to have it gone. So anyway, that's what we've been up to. And uh, I'd say that's enough about me. I've been rambling for a while. Brad, what have you and your team been up to? Uh, Well, we just got back from our company retreat in Vienna, um, which was, we we organized it around WordCamp Europe. So we rented an apartment right in the center of Vienna 
happened to be a rooftop apartment. So like beautiful views, really well lit um, apartment. And so it was just a really nice space. I mean, we had trouble with our um, apartment last year for our first ever company retreat. I was about to ask, how does it compare? And I mean, it's night and day. I mean, just the stress, stress-free, like the, the host, like, you know, met me and welcomed me and, and the place was just perfectly clean. And, you know, it was just plenty Plus a better experience. Oh, it's just so good. In fact, so it was really hot during our week there for two, probably three or four days actually it was, you know, um, you know, 36 degrees plus, uh, which is 90 Fahrenheit, I think. I think that's about right. Something like that. Uh, anyway, it was hot, really hot. And all the buildings that we went to uh, ended up being pretty hot, even the ones that were air conditioned. The air conditioning wasn't turned up very hot. So our, our apartment was like a meat locker. Every time we come back, it was just like, you know, just refreshing just to enter it. So, yeah, we, the apartment was excellent. We didn't do a whole lot of work. It's so hard to work together at the same table especially when you're a remote team and you're not used to it. We, we just tend up chatting like a lot, you know? So we, 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 we get through support and then that, you know, that'd be basically it. We, there was no, there was no way to focus on doing some development or anything. We just had a really hard time. That's always been my experience with team meetups. And it's not to say that that's not valuable. I think that's super valuable, but I think it's important to, to try and maybe change what your goal is to focus on. So instead of saying, all right, we're going to all sit together and we're going to just pound out code for a while. Instead, maybe treat it more as a, at least in, in my experience, better to treat it as a, like a brainstorming session because you have everybody there and you can bounce ideas back and forth really quick. And then when you go home, then act on it. Yeah, absolutely. That, and that's what we did. I, we had pretty low expectations for actually getting work done. So it wasn't like we felt like we failed or something. Um, when we the first day that we were we only we were only there for two full days um, before WordCamp Europe started, um, which it did feel kind of short. Um, so we're thinking about like next company retreat might maybe not doing it around an event, just doing our own thing, picking a location and going just ourselves, or maybe inviting some other product teams to join us uh, to do their retreats at the same time or something. That was another idea we had. So we'll see what, what I mean, it's a whole year to plan it. So we'll, we'll see. Um, but a couple of things that uh, we decided on, so that, that came out of the conversations that we were having. Uh, so we were talking about uh, testing uh, quite a bit lately, like like stopping manual testing so much so when we test a release we spend you know each developer usually we put three developers on testing and they do it in kind of a relay format so one developer will start testing it'll take them two or three days and then the next developer will start and it'll take them two or three days etc so it takes a long time it takes a lot of takes up a lot of our developers time and it's it, and it's boring as hell, right? Because you're just going through this manual testing spreadsheet and just performing these tests that that you know pretty much anyone could do. What I've seen done in the past is build a QA team, right? So build a team that just go does this for you, that goes through the spreadsheets and and does the testing. 
But I stumbled just before we left on our company retreat, I stumbled on this video by uh, Trish Ko or Trish Koo from Google. And the talk, her talk is called Rock Solid Software Testing Without Hiring an Army. So it was like exactly contrary to, to the strategy that I had started implementing. And, and the video really upset my whole idea of, of what we should be doing for testing. And I, I got all the members of the team to watch it before they left for Vienna. And so we had this conversation. Everyone was on the same page. We had this conversation, uh, you know, face to face. And everyone was on the same page on this, that the video was right, that we should put all our effort into automating our testing and stop this madness of, you know, doing the manual testing and trying to get other people to do the manual testing. And that it's worth it, that it's totally worth it to spend the time and energy to, to develop and maintain the automated tests versus the energy and overhead of, you know, building a QA team and, and managing that. So and in this case, automated tests being not only things like PHP unit tests, but also UI tests. Yes. So, so, so both unit tests and integration tests and acceptance tests. So the whole, the whole thing. The thing is, though, what was incredible is doing this face to face was like everyone was like enthusiastic about it. And we decided on what to do, right? Instead of just talking about it, uh, what we we're going to do to implement it. And so Ian Jones, one of our team members, uh, volunteered to be like the test guy. And like just that's all he does is just, well, for the foreseeable future, is crank out tests and strengthen our testing and start eliminating the manual testing. But then we thought, you know what, let's make this, let's speed this up. And so Jeff is going to do the MigrateDB Pro unit tests and start beefing those up. At the same time, Ian is working on beefing up the ones for WP Offload S3. So we're, we're really aggressively tackling this problem because every time we do a release right now, it sets us back, right? Because of this, all this manual testing takes so much, you know, effort to, to accomplish. So, and every time we do it, we just have to, you know, we have to do it again. So it's just a compounding, right? So if we can eliminate this, the, early, the sooner the better, right? That we eliminate this. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that are, that's hard to prioritize from a business perspective <laughs> because, you know, it's not going to cause, you know, new customers, right? But, you know, it just, it needs to be done. It's just not right. sustainable. There's no other way to do it sustainably, I don't think. Well, and, and once you have, there's, there's a couple of things that are going to happen once you have it in. Number one, you're going to lose fewer customers, theoretically. Assuming your your testing is done well, because you're going to have fewer problems between updates that frustrate customers, so less likely for somebody to leave. Two, in the, it may take say 50 hours to get it all set up, but on every release after that, it may save 150 hours. Yes, exactly, and, and that's huge. Yeah, and and the confidence of being able to being able to push out like a minor release without the worry that you know. Oh, we didn't run through all the tests, so you know there could be something that that we didn't cover, you know, that we didn't. Which test. is so easy to do. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Especially if a major release has 
30 bugs fixed and five new features and 27 minor enhancements, something will be missed. Yeah. And, and we, we, yeah, we've kind of taken as a team, we've kind of taken the approach of um, don't refactor things, you know, because like refactoring. Well, if you refactor something, you're likely, very likely to introduce bugs, right? But that's where unit tests can save your bacon, right? Absolutely. Right now, so in RCV 2.6, I told you we uh, refactored our UI. Our unit tests are failing right now with that. They were not failing beforehand. And so we broke something. We're not sure what we broke yet, but we know we broke it. We've been trying to track it down. And it's just an example where, hey, get those tests in. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, that's, I mean, refactoring is good because it, it removes technical debt. You know, it can make things more readable for developers, more pleasant to de- develop with. Uh, there's tons of benefits to refactoring, but the, the downside is always, you know, it's not broken now. Refactoring is likely to introduce bugs, but. I'm, I'm excited because um, in the next few months or over the last three months, we've been uh, putting in a ton of unit tests for Affiliate WP. So Affiliate WP had always had very minimal unit test in because the, I, it, me, I didn't get around to it. And since Drew and Rami have come on board and are working on it, we've had a lot more time to be able to actually put in a lot of tests. And so I think in the last three months, we've added like two or 300 unit tests to it. Yeah. I mean, the future. unit tests are sad. If you test manually over and over again, unit tests actually become satisfying to, to write because you're, oh, yeah. you're realizing you're automating things. So you'll never have to run this test manually again, right? Like you, <laughs> you won't have to step through the UI or, or whatever to, to test this again. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's so valuable. Um, or it's so satisfying to get that kind of, it's like automating anything, right? It's got that satis- feeling of satisfaction. So another thing we decided on our retreat was that we were going to have more retreats. <laughs> we're going to start doing regional retreats every six, well, every year. So, so we'll, Regional meaning like the team members that are in that region? Yes. So, so North American team members will be going to WordCamp US this December. And the UK contingent will be going to something, you know, closer to home, uh, you know, maybe something in Ireland or who knows. They're, they're gonna, they have yet to decide. But, but yeah, so, so just kind of less of a commitment travel-wise and maybe time-wise, maybe it's shorter as well. So maybe we go to WordCamp US and that's only like three or four days or something versus a, an entire week. So, so at least... At least half the team gets to see each other, you know, every We've been kind of doing, doing that for, I don't know, a year or two. And, and I really like it. And not even really with formal, formal retreats, more of just, hey, let's try, to, let's try to make sure that we get FaceTime, even if it's just two members or three members or four members, multiple times a year. And so we try to get a couple people at a word camp, a couple people at that camp, a couple people, oh, hey, let's just let's fly somebody in and let's just hang out for a few days. Um, I think those are super valuable. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, and then just a note on, on, on WordCamp Europe. Um, it was, it was a good camp. 
I enjoyed it. It was really hot in the auditoriums and stuff. So, I mean, I tend to kind of hang out in the hallway, most camps anyway, and, and just chat with people, catch up. And so I did, I did a lot of that again, which is always great. Um, and, and there was lots of new people that I could meet uh, that went to WordCamp Europe that, you know, wouldn't normally go to, let's say, WordCamp Miami or WordCamp US. So, so that was really cool. There was lots of, I've gotten a few people, you know, came up to me and just, you know, was super excited about apply filters and just, you know, gave us some encouragement saying, you know, you know, keep up the good work. And I really Did love the show. Did you wear your apply filters t-shirt? Uh, I didn't because it's caught. You are fired. <laughs> I, I did, but but then like I came, I had to come home and change because it was so hot. <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, the cotton t-shirt in that weather is just kind of gross. So I didn't wear my cotton well, shirt. Yeah, it sounded like it was a great event, and I was originally planning to go, and uh, I'd actually I'd been accepted to to speak at it as well. And about two months ago, I backed out of it. Just my wife and I just decided, you know, let's have a, let's spend a summer at home, not really doing much. We travel a lot and it was the right choice. We've been enjoying just kind of hanging around. Yeah, I hear that. I'm, I'm pretty much done for the summer for, for you know, traveling and stuff. I have, I have a couple of little regional trips. I, I drive back and forth between uh, Kansas City, which is about three hours from me. And that's kind of like a weekend trip for me. And then I'm, I'll be driving down to Austin tomorrow. And for a completely unrelated, non-work-related event, and then after that, my only my next trip is LoopConf in October, and I've been enjoying not traveling as much as I usually do. Yeah, yeah, it's nice just to you know stick around home for a while. Yeah, yeah. A um, couple other what things. A couple other things. Uh, we're launching automatic renewals pretty soon uh, on our site. Um, Getting, so you getting say close. pretty soon. Do you have a like a a rough date or a set date? I'm thinking, yeah. So we're recording this on June 30th. I'm thinking tomorrow, so July 1st. Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm traveling tomorrow. Is, I, I like like if you're releasing tomorrow, shouldn't that be a definite? <laughs> well, so I'm traveling tomorrow's a holiday here in Canada, so. So I'm traveling tomorrow morning, but when I get to my parents' place, I may launch it then because I'll, you know, I won't be on the road for three or four days. And it's the weekend. I like launching things on the weekend because, uh, you know, it's low volume for in terms of sales. And this is a holiday weekend too, so it's going to be even lower volume. So it's a good time to, you know, kick the tires, I think, in, in production. So we'll see. I, I just don't know if I have... We'll see what happens when I get there, how I feel. <laughs> the thing is, I have to stay like, you know, near the computer the whole weekend, yeah, right? Absolutely. So I remember when we launched our, our first auto renewals. Um, I mean, we were pushing updates to the site like every hour, or every two hours, just to um, just fixing little issues that we found. Now, granted, we were doing that while also simultaneously beta testing our own plugin. Uh, so it was maybe a little bit of a different scenario, but. But still, it's a big change, so it's you right. want to be around. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and also, uh, this should have been at the top of the show, not as a footnote, but I'm going to say it now anyway. So Peter Tasker is joining our team full-time on Monday, on July 4th. 
which is he's Canadian, so that's not a holiday. <laughs> if if you're wondering, so yeah, so we we're adding a full time team member, which is very super, cool, super cool. Um, and, and what's he gonna be focusing on? Uh, he'll be working on Migrate DB Pro to start, uh, so helping to push that forward and help with support, and uh, yeah, so hopefully that means that releases will. Um, speed up a little bit for migrate to Pro. Yeah, very. Well, I mean, actually, releases probably won't speed up because Jeff is doing unit tests full time. <laughs> so right. we're, we're still going to be back to, you know, two people working on the release. Probably releases will be about the same for now. But, you know, in the future, maybe faster because we'll have unit tests. Um, we already have unit tests. There's like, I think we have like 16 or 18% coverage right now. So we've got a good start. Uh, but we have no uh, automated uh, acceptance tests. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done there. But anyways, Very cool. what, uh, so should we mention some of the um, blog posts we've been writing? Yeah. So what, what have you written about? And maybe, maybe we'll talk about it for next episode. And so if anybody who wants to kind of get a, get a heads up on it, go read it and then chime in yeah. in two weeks. Yeah. Or maybe even ping us on Twitter that you really want to hear about it um, and maybe offer a question or two. Uh, we'd be happy to answer those questions as part of the episode. Uh, so, so I wrote a post titled, Hey, WordPress developers, your clients should own their plugin licenses. Because uh, what I've seen is a lot of times uh, developers will buy a license for their client, or they'll just use their own developer license while they're, you know, when they build a site for a client, and then they walk away, and the client, the license expires like a year later, and the client tries to update the plugin, and it doesn't update, and they're left with uh, outdated plugin on their site, and with security vulnerabilities, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's, yeah, there's, I, I go through all kinds of reasons why. That's bad, and I, 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 I read this post right after you released it. Uh, I, I love it, and I agree 110. Uh, percent It reminded me of a, a rant that that I went on like a year and a half ago on the exact same subject. We had a customer come in, and well, I will spare the details. This will be we'll talk about it next episode. Yeah, we'll go into post, it. 100%. Yeah. Anyway, check out the post. What uh, what have you been, you've been writing? Uh, I've got a couple that I've written, and, and some of these are actually a couple of weeks old. One of them is, I titled The Monster That's a Poor Database Schema. So we've been uh, slowly, slowly working on moving all of our EDD data into custom tables. So like product, not products, but payment records, customer records, license keys, et cetera. We want to move all of them into custom tables for performance reasons and stuff like that. Because as we've discovered, the WordPress post table is a terrible place for e-commerce data. Um, and we can go into more details about that uh, in next episode. But anyway, so I, I wrote a post um, describing it as a bit of a monster and just, you know, how do you deal with it? What are some of the, how do you work on transitioning that data? What are some of the things you have to think about when you introduce a new schema and then migrate all your data over? There's so many caveats, so many challenges uh, and it's something that you you have to work on over a long period of time. It's not a, okay, let's build it in two weeks and we're done. Um, not if you care about your user base anyway. Right. So is, I did that. Did, uh, uh, and did Andrew do the artwork for that post? The, yes. Andrew does all of the artwork on the, Pippin's yeah, Cute little monster. <laughs> yeah. Or actually, 
two other posts that I wrote. Uh, one of them is I started a new personal blog recently on my other domain outside of pippinspluggins.com. So pippinspluggins.com is really just for, for WordPress work-related stuff. And for a long time, I've wanted to have a new place to to write a little bit more personal stuff or maybe stuff that isn't associated with, with business directly or isn't WordPress related. And so I launched a new site at pippin.com a few weeks ago. And I wrote up a blog post called Escaping the Tyranny of My Desk. And it's a it just it's a little short thing, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. And it's look, as remote workers, we have the ability to work anywhere. I mean, as long as we have a Wi-Fi connection, and sometimes we don't even need a Wi-Fi connection. The idea that we spend most of our lives in a two-foot square in front of our desk and allow ourselves to um, suffer the physical consequences, the health consequences of that over years. The fact that we do that is crazy to me. Um, and so I've been very actively trying to do better myself at getting away from that and working in other locations, taking advantage of the fact that I can work from anywhere, whether that's traveling to different parts of the world or traveling to a different part of my city. So a little bit of a, I don't know, personal health thing for me at least. And then uh, I wrote one other called Extending the WordPress Metadata API. So earlier I mentioned that in EDD 2.6, we introduced customer meta and in RCP 2.6, we're introducing payment meta and subscription meta. And uh, about a year ago, we introduced affiliate meta inside of affiliate WP. All of these extend the WordPress metadata API. And so I wrote a tutorial about that finally. And uh, I think it's a, it's a little known feature of the WordPress database system and the metadata API that you can add custom metadata APIs. And it works very, very well. Very cool. So anyway, talk about all of these next time in depth. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Anything else you want to add, Brad, before we close down? No, we should wrap it up. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for chiming in, everybody. And Brad, sounds like you guys had an awesome trip. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk very soon. Yeah. Talk, talk to you next time. <laughs>